enjoyed the rugby yesterday. Wasn't that exciting? I mean, we're just not used to winning anymore. Right, uh, we finished our series in the book of Nehemiah, and so today I want to speak to you about God's Word, because I think it's a very important subject and, and worthy of our attention today. For starters, can you imagine what things would be, would be like if we did not have the Bible? Can you imagine what things would be like if we didn't have the Bible? What would we know about God? And how could we ever be sure of anything? Imagine if all we knew about Jesus was what people had passed down by oral tradition. Imagine if all we knew about Moses and uh, the release from Egypt was through stories that had been told. How, how accurate would that information be that we, we would have today? Would we be able to have confidence in it? I think not. Here's a picture of that children's game, Broken Telephone. And you know how it works. You know, the one person tells somebody something, they tell the next person supposedly the same thing. And by the time you get to the fifth or tenth person, or in our case with the Christian faith, the 100,000th person, um, you're in serious trouble. You've, you've kind of lost the message. There's something very comforting about having stuff written down, isn't there? Yes, thank you. <laughs> That's why when it comes to buying things like a house or an employment contract, or, or any kind of deal you make with another person. It's good to write it down. Why is it good to write things down? There's clarity when it comes to the written word. It's fixed. It, it serves as a permanent record. It can easily be reproduced, copied, and disseminated. And friends, that's why in the providence of God... He has given to us his revelation in written form. Because when it comes to clarity, accuracy, permanence, you cannot beat putting something in writing. And so that is how God's revelation has come to us. But some of you bright sparks might be thinking, but hang on a sec, didn't God reveal himself to us primarily in the person of Jesus? And you would be quite correct. That is how God has most profoundly and most amazingly communicated with us. In the person of Jesus. He, was, he is God in human form. When we saw Jesus and how he acted, we, we know what God is, is like. And there's a verse that talks about how God has, has communicated with people. Throughout the ages. Here it is. Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So how has God spoken in the past? Well, through all those prophets, we know their names. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Nahum, Micah. God has spoken through these people. 
He also spoke in many different ways. When God parted the sea, he was speaking of his power. When he released the people from Egypt, it was a revelation of his power. When he fed the people with manna on the ground, it was a revelation of his provision. God spoke in many ways in the Old Testament through many prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. But what's the shortcoming with all of these past revelations? It's because they're in the past. It's because they're locked into time. They were powerful acts of revelation. But it was only the people that were there that could experience that revelation. Even sometimes when people were there, they couldn't experience and see the revelation, which is why Zacchaeus had to climb a tree. The Samaritan woman had a profound encounter with Jesus at the well, and then she went back to her town and said, Come see the man who told me everything about me. But, but many of them didn't get to see Jesus. So much of God's revelation to us in the person of Jesus was limited to those that were there. And how could it be that all of this revelation of God's power through the prophets, through the acts in various ways, and ultimately in the person of Jesus, how could this revelation all go to waste or, or we've missed out on it? Well, in the providence of God, God has ensured that what we need to know has been recorded and put in writing for, for all time's sake. John 20 tells us that Jesus did many miracles and many great things. There were many ways in which God was revealed to us in Jesus. They weren't all recorded. That would be an impossible feat. But the ones we need to know about, they were recorded, John tells us. At the end of John 21, we read, Jesus did many other things as well. Not all the books in the world could contain that revelation of God. But what we need to know was recorded. I want to just show you from the Bible itself how easy it is for people to get the wrong end of the stick. Have you ever had a little misunderstanding with someone? Happens to me often. In fact, the more you talk, the more it happens. It's like a correlation right there. But here in John chapter 21, Jesus is having a, a chat with his disciples, and he says about Peter, Peter, one day when you get old, someone is going to take you and tie you up and take you where you don't want to go, and it's going to be terrible. You're going to get killed, Peter. Peter turned and then looks at John, and now he's wondering, well, I've just had my fortune told. What's going to happen to John? I want to know. So Jesus, hey, what about this guy? We know you like him a lot. What about him, Lord? And Jesus says, and this is important, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that got to do with you? Even though the disciples were there, they got the wrong end of the stick. 
And they started a rumor. How's that? The disciples starting a rumor about Jesus. Verse 23. Because of this, they, they didn't get it right. The rumor spread among the brothers that the disciple would not die. So John has to put it in writing. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said if I want him to remain alive, what's it got to do with you? And so here in the scripture, and I know this is a subtle point, but here in the scripture we have an example of how easy it is for people to misunderstand things, to take things the wrong way. And John clarifies here for us what's going down. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is a wonderful passage about the scriptures, the holy scriptures. Timothy, we know, was someone who was taught the scriptures from infancy. That's a wonderful thing. We can really bless our children by teaching them God's ways at a young age. Protect them from making many mistakes along the way. They are the holy scriptures, we're told. Why are they holy? Holy means different in a category all of their own. They are the holy scriptures. And what is their purpose? To make us wise for salvation. They are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And what gives the Bible these properties that the Bible alone can make us wise for salvation? That we can be thoroughly equipped, totally equipped, fully equipped for everything God wants us to do. Why is the Bible that book? We're also told in this verse because all Scripture is God-breathed. It's not just something people dreamt up or thought, how can I remember what Jesus did and said? No, God moved these people and, and supervised what they wrote and how they wrote it. Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter 1. He says, above all, you must understand this. No prophecy had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the same dynamic happened when they wrote God's Word. Scripture is inspired. It is the authorized biography of the life of Jesus. You know you get unauthorized and authorized. The unauthorized or the juicy version. The authorized is the version where the person that it's about says this is true. And this, and this alone, is the complete record of God's revelation to the world. Today I want to just share with you a few more things about the role the Bible plays in our lives. Number one, do you delight in God's Word? Do you delight in God's Word? I would really love to read the whole of Psalm 119 to you, but it's far too long. It would probably take 10 minutes just to read, if not 15, if we read it slowly. Psalm 119 is a love song about the Bible. 
in effect. It's about how awesome the Bible is, how it gives us life, how it directs our paths. How do we know what God is like? It is through God's Word. It's not from looking up to the night sky. We can tell from that that God is good. But to know with clarity what God is like, we need His Word. Many different ways are used to describe God's Word by the author of the psalm. He refers to God's Word as God's laws, God's statutes, His precepts, His decrees, His commands. And he says, how blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm. In other words, it uses every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's the A to Z of how awesome God's Word is. Every, every, every stanza in the psalm all begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It starts with Aleph and it works its way all the way to the end. I don't have time to read it to you, but it's awesome. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living it according to your word. Let me jump to my next point. This is the attitude that Jesus had to God's word. God's word was Jesus' delight. It was Jesus that said in the Sermon on the Mount, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, not the full stop, not the dotting of an I or the crossing of the T will, will leave God's word until everything is accomplished. Jesus had a reverence for God's word, which is why as a 12-year-old, when he was on holiday with his friends, he would rather be studying God's word and questioning the scribes and Pharisees and learning all he could as a 12-year-old. Jesus delighted in God's word. He respected it. By the way, the author of the psalm puts a monetary value on God's word. He says God's word is far more valuable than gold. If I today were to offer you God's word or a pot of gold, what would you take? In fact, some of you don't answer that. In verse 72 of that psalm, he says, The law from your mouth is more precious to me than a thousands of pieces of silver and gold. That's why people today who are in prison for the gospel treasure a few pages of the Bible that they may have. These are people who love God's word. What else does the Bible teach us about itself. It's wisdom for life. If you want to be successful in life and prosperous, get to know the Bible. It's God's handbook for living. Wow, has Howard become a prosperity preacher? Well, today, yes. Tomorrow again, no. But if you want to be successful and prosperous in life, get to know God's Word. Live by its principles. In Joshua chapter 1, we read, Be courageous. Have faith. 
Be careful to obey the law that God has given to you, the revelation that you have, so that you may be successful wherever you go. And if you meditate on God's law and you don't let it depart from your mouth and you're careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. I can tell that I'm in the wrong church today because nobody said amen. Thank you. Amen. We need a few amens every now and again. Following God's word is a recipe for success in life, in love, in relationships. And we can spare ourselves a lot of heartache if we take what this book says seriously. Studies show, and I know you should never preface anything you say with that phrase. <laughs> Don't ask me which studies, but I did read one day. That communities that adopt a Christian lifestyle improve. The Christian faith, when it's embraced by communities, is a blessing to those people. Because scripture brings wisdom and guidance and is a blessing. So scripture should be a delight to us. Secondly, it should be there to give us practical wisdom for daily life. It's also there to help us live godly lives, which is often different to being successful. Hopefully we can be successful and godly. But if you have to choose, just go with the godly. Because there's something better than being prosperous and successful. And that is living a life that pleases God. That deeply pleases God. That's why he's given us his word. Paul writes to Timothy, You know the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is useful for teaching, for rebuking, Oh, we don't like that one much. For correcting, because often the world is saying this, but God's word is saying that. Scripture corrects what is wrong about our thinking, and it trains us in righteousness. One of the great principles of the Reformation, when the church by God's grace came to its senses, things had got way out of hand. And the reformer said, guys, there are things we've got to get right. Because we're being led astray. When people are saying, if your offering's big enough, your sins can be forgiven. And one of the cries of the reformers was this idea of sola scriptura. This idea that the authority in the Christian life is not the living church. It's not what this person says or that person says or whoever shouts the loudest. But the authority for how we know what God is saying and what God is like. There is one sole infallible rule for faith and practice. And it's the written word of God. 
The reformers also held to the idea of the sufficiency of Scripture. This means that the Bible alone is sufficient for you to live a godly life. It's important, sola scriptura. The Methodists had this idea of the primacy of Scripture, but the tradition, reason, and personal experience also needs to play a role in discovering God's will. And there's wisdom in that, but they too had the Scriptures as the primary way. The Catholics, on the other hand, believed that the church is where the power lies, and that together the church has the Scriptures and tradition, and that that forms the mysterium. But Jesus has warned us about the traditions of men. Because people often make traditions, but their rules taught by men, says Jesus. Sometimes we can let go of the commands of God. And we hold instead to the traditions of men what people think is best. Note the sarcasm in Jesus as he tackles the Pharisees. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. We need a God against setting aside what God has laid down in his word to fit in with what we think is best. Jesus uses even far stronger language. Later on he says, you nullify the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down. And that too is why the reformers hung on to sola scriptura. We're going to base our our theology, our beliefs on the Bible and the Bible alone. Let me say a few things about the power of God's Word. The power of God's Word. Did you know that the Bible describes itself as like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces? Have you experienced the power of God's Word? Hebrews 4 tells us that the Word of God is, is living, it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is a, a powerful book. It can convict us, shake us, change us, impact us. I hope you know the power of God's Word. Some examples of the power of God's Word. Act 2, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. He references some scriptures, Psalm 110 and the like, and he preaches about the resurrection of Christ. And the response is that people are cut to the heart. They've been cut by the, the word of God. How is the Ethiopian eunuch converted? Well, he's in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. 
The Spirit guides Philip and says, go and hang out by that chariot. And he hears Isaiah being read. He was like a sheep being uh, led to the slaughter. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, how can I? I need someone to explain it to me. Sometimes we need help to understand God's Word. The, the authority is in the Word, not in the person doing the explaining. And we read that Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip didn't say, you don't need to know about what Isaiah said. I'll tell you about Jesus. No, they, they wrestled with the Word. What happened on the Emmaus Road? And I spoke about this this past Christmas. Jesus is walking on the Emmaus Road. It's, it's just after his resurrection, and people don't know that he's been resurrected. And he's walking along in the Emmaus Roads, and he, he, he falls in with a group of people that are talking about how terrible it is that Jesus has been killed, and we had hoped he had been the one who would save Israel. And they're very, very down. And Jesus doesn't say, peekaboo, it is me, I am here. Isn't that awesome? He does not say that. Which is so odd. But anyway, verse 27, beginning with Moses, he decides to teach a bit of the Bible. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them that was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Wow, isn't that pretty interesting? And later on, after all of that looking at the scriptures, they finally recognize him at the meal when he says grace in the particular Jesus way. They say, were not our hearts burning when, when he walked on the road with us and opened the scriptures to us? It was reading the scriptures that resulted in their hearts burning. I see this dynamic again when Jesus appears to the disciples and he eats a piece of fish to persuade them that he's not a ghost. What does he do? He opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Isn't that amazing? There's Jesus in the flesh, back from the dead, with his disciples, and it's time for a Bible study yet again. It's because of the power of God's Word. It's like the rain. The rain falls, the stuff grows. I mean, who needs to go to Darling? You just need to drive down Ladies Mile and see all the wildflowers. When, when that happens. Which will be one of these months. It's the same with God's Word. It goes out and it brings a response. Like the rain brings a response from the ground. God's Word causes stuff to grow in our hearts, in our lives. It's what we ended our Nehemiah series off with. The people getting preached to, listening attentively to the book of the law as it was read for the people. They read from the book of law and the Levites made it clear and giving the meaning so the people could understand what was being read. Paul also tells Timothy that in the churches we are devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. It's 
So maybe I should read Psalm 119 after all. And finally, a few thoughts on handling God's Word. It's one thing to believe in the Bible, even to accept its authority over our lives, even to believe in its inspiration and its consequential power. But how are we to handle the Bible? I think we can learn a thing or two from Muslims in this regard. Have you noticed how much respect Muslim people have for their scriptures? You go into a Muslim's house, often on the wall in gold lettering will be some verses from the Quran. A Muslim will never put a Bible on a chair, because after all, that's where your bottom's been. A Muslim will never let a Bible be, be on the ground. They will treat the, sorry, the, the, the Bible and their scriptures, I mean. There's a respect there for what they believe to be their inspired scriptures. The Bible can be difficult to understand. It even says so. Peter writes about Paul, and I don't think he's having a dig. Yeah, gee, that Paul really you know, could work on his communication a bit. Peter writes, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. There's a difference between something being wrong and just difficult to understand. Peter's not saying Paul's wrong. He's just saying it's hard to understand sometimes what he's saying. He also says, and these things, ignorant and unstable people, distort, twist to serve their own purposes as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Friends, there is an awful lot of scripture twisting happening in this world. You only need to turn on your TV. In fact, I watch just about you know, nothing from tele-evangelists. I mean, I'm sure there's some good stuff out there, so... Let me withdraw that whole phrase right there. There's <laughs> a little bit of good stuff out there, out of everything that's out there. There are many people using Scripture to promote their own agendas. I read an article the other day where someone was suggesting a particular preacher needs to be issued with a butcher's license because of the way they handle Scripture. There are those who are peddling the Word of God. Even in Bible times, we're told, there are many, unlike so many, we do not peddle the Word of God for profit. People use the Bible to make money. And they're making millions and millions. And they're going on TV and pleading with their supporters that they need a new private jet. We should be like the Bereans. Who are these Berean characters? For starters, they lived in Berea. Okay, that's really what makes you a Berean. But these guys, they received the message with great eagerness. They were, they were open to learning, but they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Friends, I hope your faith is based on the Bible, that you don't take what I say as gospel truth. 
or anybody, thanks for that amen, or anybody else who preaches anywhere. Paul says even if an angel appears to you and brings a gospel that's a little bit different to the one you've heard, cursed be that angel. That's Paul. We need to be like the Bereans. You hear what people have to say, and then you go home yourself and search the Scriptures to see if what they're saying is true. We need to present ourselves to God as work people who, who are approved, who don't need to be ashamed of how we handle the Bible. And there are Christian leaders in this world today who should be ashamed of what they're doing to God's Word and what they're saying in Jesus' name, which is completely and utterly wrong. We want to be those who do not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handle the word of truth. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that you have not left us to our own devices to work out what you're like, but you took the initiative. You sent prophets and spoke at various times and in various ways. And then finally, in the final act, you sent your son Jesus into this world, who is the exact representation of you. Thank you for this amazing revelation. And even though it happened in history, it has not been lost because you inspired people to, to write and then collate the Bible. Thank you, Lord for your word, that we can know with clarity and with certainty what you are like. Thank you for the power of your word, for the practical guidance, for the equipping it provides. Help us all to be like the Bereans who search the scriptures every day to see if what we're hearing is of you. Bless us and guide us and lead us. For we want to be people who are equipped, Lord, to make an impact for you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.